as most of you will know, we started um, about nine weeks ago a series on what's called the Decalogue, or more commonly known as the Ten Commandments. And this is the only time that we know that God actually wrote with his own finger something on a stone tablet. And so that tells us that these are important words. And what they're primarily about is about how you and I can live in a healthy relationship with God and one another. That it's not so much about rule keeping, it's a description of what healthy relationship looks like and the blessings that come along with that relationship. So now we're on uh, command number eight, Exodus 20, verse 15, and it says, you shall not steal. There you go. Any questions, comments? Don't do that anymore. To, uh, to, explain this, uh, to explain this command, I think it's helpful to begin with looking at what ownership means, and then we'll, we'll move back from there. Uh, now, this is perhaps the most tricky part of the sermon, uh, but it's worth going through. Uh, why does God care about that we own something and people shouldn't take it? Like, why is that a big deal? When we think of certain political systems, there's an understanding that we should all share everything together. And so we can go away with the idea thinking that there shouldn't be really what I own or what you own. We should all just have kind of common property and everybody can use whatever they'd like to use. So it's a, it's a popular way to think, at least in some circles. To understand the idea of ownership, it's important to understand the idea of the Trinity. And we're not gonna jump too far into that, except to say, that we have in the Trinity the perfect um, uh, relationship where there's one God and three persons. What's valuable to know in terms of this week's sermon is that in order for love to exist, there needs to be two persons. So there needs to be someone giving and someone receiving. If there isn't two people, then there's no love that could be shared. Uh, Relationship, sorry, love is always relational. It always requires two. So the reason why uh, the Bible speaks of this idea of ownership is so that love could thrive, so that there could be one person who has something and decides out of their own free will to give it to another person. And as we have two, now we have love being shared and now we're reflecting the Trinity. Uh, Ownership, then, is something that you have. Now, the dictionary describes ownership as kind of the right to possess something. I think a more biblical definition would be the care of a gift. In Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. There's nothing that you can say that this is mine. Uh, actually, hate to break it to you, it's not really. Everything in the earth belongs to the Lord. And so whatever you and I would call mine or whatever we think that we own is really a gift that comes from him. And he gives it to us to care for that gift and to manage or steward it in his name. So the idea of this is mine and I have the right to do with it whatever I want would be a foreign concept in the Bible. Ownership instead is about receiving something from him and then uh, using it the way that he would want. I have a, a clip that I would like to, are we gonna be able to do that clip? Say yes to me, thank you. Uh, for those of you who have been here for a while, uh, otherwise known as being old, there's, a, uh, there's a, some, uh, some movies called The Pink Panther, and we have uh, Inspector Clouseau who's gone to a hotel, and he's, uh, he's asking about a dog. There we go. You gotta turn it up. Does your dog bad? Is this oh. your dog? Oh. I thought you said your dog did not bad. That is not my dog. <laughs> I have. Uh, it's so quiet. It's very funny if you're in a movie theater. The, uh, so the, 
So the idea is, if I can translate, this is a, uh, this is, you know, so does your dog bite? And so the guy, you know, and it's uh, bites and he goes, I thought you said your dog doesn't bite. He goes, it's not my dog. And so this is an interesting idea of what ownership is. Ownership says, look, that's not my dog. I don't have, it's, it's this idea that um, I don't have to be responsible for anything outside of me. That would be a more common way of viewing what ownership is. That's not my dog, I don't have to worry about that. This is just what I own and it's what I take care of. That's not the biblical understanding of what ownership is about. It's about stewarding something on behalf of others. In contrast then, we have this command, you shall not steal. The word steal in Greek is klepto, where we get kleptomaniac from. And it means to steal secretly, to deceive, or to cheat even by flattery. It's to take uh, what wasn't given you. So this idea then is that God wants to give us things. And sometimes we grasp for things that he hasn't given us. And whenever we do that, the Bible describes that as stealing. He didn't give that to you. He gave that to somebody else. And whether you use uh, flattery or whether it's done secretly or, or in a manipulative kind of way, it doesn't matter how it happens. It wasn't given you, so it's not yours to have. That's what it means to steal. Examples of theft, and this is always super encouraging. You'll feel really bad by the end of this list. The, so here's some examples of, uh, of thievery. Uh, long lunch breaks. Uh, you took time from the company that wasn't yours to take. Uh, healthy sick days, where you're sick-ish. Uh, uh, that's, um, that's, that's, you took, again, from the company. Not declaring items at the border. Plagiarism, where you took an idea that was not yours, and you took credit for it, instead of giving credit to the one who originated that idea. Tax evasion, or tax loopholes. Deceptive sales, where you're trying to give to some... Uh, get money from someone and they don't really need what you're selling. It's a form of thievery. Pressure sales. You're more interested in making a sale than you are doing what's best for the person. Inflating prices. We saw this during COVID, didn't we? Where things that were, that were more rare, the price went up. It's a form of theft. Guilt trips. Where... Um, you're making somebody feel bad in order to get them to do something for you. You're stealing favors from them. Gossip. What you're stealing here is someone's reputation. Uh, withholding wages. Bribery. Exploitation. Not protecting your neighbor's property. Again, it's not my dog. This is the opposite of that, where we have a responsibility not just to steward well what we have, but to actually uh, honor what other people own and defend them in that. Adultery is taking uh, someone who is not yours. The, supposedly, the original understanding of this uh, command was particularly about kidnapping and slavery, where you're taking a life that was not yours to take. So do you understand then that what this revolves around is there are things that God has given you, me, and there's things that he hasn't. When we grasp for what he hasn't given us, that's described as theft. Greed is not measured in numbers. It's not, sorry, how, how much. You know, well, it was just a small thing, so it barely matters. Greed is not measured in numbers, but in discontentment. I'm not, I, 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 what God has given me clearly isn't enough, and so I need to grasp for what isn't mine because I need it and I deserve it. It's this idea of entitlement. James Houston, one of my uh, professors at Regent College, says this, all possessiveness is born of fear. Stealing is born of fear. I'm afraid of lack, I'm afraid of poverty, and so I need to grasp and take hold of something that is not mine. When I think of this, I think of one of the um, foster sisters that I had growing up. We had, a, we had lots of uh, foster kids going through our home. I remember one in particular, she lived with us for quite a while. 
and she uh, liked to run away a lot. So she'd run away, and we'd find her somewhere and bring her back home, and then she'd run away again. And I, what I found interesting, whenever uh, she would come back, is my mom would cook her her favorite food, and it was spaghetti. And so she would come back, Debbie would make this, uh, Debbie, you're not my mom. Uh, my mom would, uh, would make this meal, and uh, she would eat three, she's just a tiny person, she would eat three platefuls because she didn't know where her next meal was coming from because she was planning on running away again real soon. And so there was this fear that I need to consume as much as I can get because I don't know when I'm going to be taken care of again. And so I just need to grasp for as much as I can consume. That's the idea of possessiveness or stealing. So greed, worry, laziness, hoarding, gambling, or overspending, they're all signs of mistrust in God's goodness and greatness. I can't trust that he's going to look after me. I have to look after myself. And these are the ideas that I have for how to manage what I need without trusting in God or anyone else. This is what the heart of stealing is about. So what is the remedy? Ephesians 4.28 outlines three things that I think are very helpful when they're put together into a package. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4.28. This is your moment. There we go. Anyone, so point number one, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. That's an interesting start to trusting in God. Instead of taking matters into your own hands and getting what you think you need to actually stop doing that. What not stealing does is it actually heightens our need and our urgency. I can't just take matters into my own hands. That's a very vulnerable thing to do for people who don't trust in God that I'm not going to grasp anymore for things that are not mine to have. But it's where it starts. It's where the remedy begins, is to not steal anymore. But they must work doing something useful with their own hands. So we could say, okay, God, I'm not going to steal anymore. I'm not going to grasp. I'm just going to sit here and wait. There are certain parts of, um, of Christianity. You've maybe heard of the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel. And it's this idea that God, uh, we're trusting that God is going to drop you know, money from heaven, and he's just going to bless us because he loves his children and he wants to be generous, which of course is true. But what they often will do is disconnect work from blessing. We see in Deuteronomy 8.18 and elsewhere that God does the opposite. God says, what I'm going to do, so stop stealing and work. But when you work, I'm going to bless the work of your hands. Money and work are very closely tied together in Scripture. If you don't work, you don't eat. We need to take responsibility for our own lives. Why is that an act of love? Well, it's an act of love because if I don't take care of myself, then someone else is going to have to take care of me. So the first, the way that I can love the community is actually taking care of my own needs. So that other people don't have to do that. That frees them up to care for other people. And as we take responsibility for our own needs, God comes into those moments and blesses us with his grace and multiplies our efforts to provide for our needs. So that's point one and point two. Don't steal, work. But it goes further yet, which gets to the heart of what is the opposite of stealing that they may have something to share with those in need. Instead of taking what isn't mine, I give what isn't theirs to them. I, I, I bless people. It's the opposite. So we, we, we stop stealing. Uh, a few weeks ago, Debbie and I went, to, uh, went out for lunch together, and I, I looked down at the at the ground, and there's a $50 bill on the ground. Now, I always carry in my wallet a $50 bill just for emergencies. I had to use it uh, just before then, and so there wasn't a $50 bill. God answered my prayers. There's a $50 bill on the ground. I thought, this is great. So in a minute, what goes through my mind is, 
God's providing or something, I don't know. Uh, no, that's called stealing. It's not mine. I didn't, I didn't work for that, that's not mine. And so I, you know, I have, but, but, but it happens in a split second, right? You go, would anybody notice? What is it, you know? So I have to, you know, I give it to the, uh, give it to the waiter. And uh, she asks around the restaurant, and a guy comes up to me and says, thank you so much, it just dropped out of my wallet. I said, no problem. You know, tip might be nice, but anyway, don't worry about it, it's all yours. <laughs> okay, so you stop stealing, and then you work. So here's what's interesting about something like gambling. Uh, it could even stretch as far as playing the stock market, depending on how you do it, where it's a form of gambling. It's, it's wanting free money. It's wanting to, to, uh, to, to work in such a way where I don't have to work anymore, and I want to divorce the idea, separate the idea of my work with God's blessing. In God's mind, they always go together. And then, as we said, we share generously. What I'd like to do is spend the remainder of our time looking at generosity, sharing generously, and then gratitude. These are the two, I think, bedrocks of a healthy approach to money or any kind of possessions. Let's look first, then, at generosity. Generosity is freely giving love. Now, there's two things that undermine generosity, or at least complicate it. One is, we think that generosity is about an amount. So if I'm being generous, I'm giving a large amount of money or a really expensive item to somebody. That's not true. In uh, Matthew 12, we know the story. If you've uh, read the Bible for a bit, you know the story of, of a widow putting in two copper coins worth hardly anything. And what is Jesus' response? You put more into the, uh, into the tithing box than people who are super wealthy. The idea of generosity is, is giving not like, I gotta make sure that I protect myself first and then I'll give what's left over. It's a generous spirit that's interested more in what they need than in what I need. It's also not based on what other people deserve. It's not based on what other people deserve. It's based on how Jesus loved us. Uh, if you call yourself a Christian here, you will know, uh, did Jesus love you the way that you deserve? Please say no. Uh, he hasn't, has he? He's loved us beyond what we deserve. It feels as though sometimes our view of money and generosity is we give in a way that we think people will use it wisely. And so we think that we're being good stewards if we really monitor how we give away our money. I remember when I first had to wrestle with this, I was in my early 20s and had a mentor who had a very rough life. And so he just kind of knew about, you know, kind of a side of life that I didn't really know very much about. And he asked me this question once. He says, Greg, if God told you to give $20 to a person over there and you know that they're probably gonna spend it on alcohol and cigarettes, that was the big evil back then. But if you're gonna, that, if you know that that's what's gonna happen, would you give it? And I remember having to wrestle that through, going, they're going to misuse the gift that I'm giving. Am I becoming an enabler by giving that to them? Uh, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe that's, um, that's not actually helpful. And then I remember thinking this, that everything good in my life has come from God. And have I wisely used everything that God has given me? No. And yet he still loves. He still gives generously. And I thought, well, this would be a double standard. If I, you know, am, am stingy towards others, and then I expect God to be generous towards me, well, that doesn't work. I'm responsible to give. I can't control how other people deal with the gifts that are given them. I can't control that but I'm responsible to be generous if Jesus calls me to be so. What allows us to do that is described in Proverbs 19:17. It says this, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. That's a fantastic statement. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. One of the things that Debbie and I have really tried to practice 
during our years of marriage is to give to the poor. And we do that for two reasons, at least. Uh, one is to give to the poor. It's, it, it, Christianity is defined as a, as a group of people who give to those who lack. It's what we do. It's what it means to be a Christian. What we discovered over the years is that it was actually an incredibly helpful way to purify our own hearts. Because if you've ever given to the poor, you know that most of the time, there's not at least what you can perceive to be a good return on your investment. We've had tons of people, whether we've given money or we've offered forgiveness or whatever it is, people go, yo, thanks, and off they go. They're the nine out of the ten lepers who just were happy to be healed. Only one came back to say thank you to Jesus. That's about the right odds, in my experience. But that's good for my heart because I'm not, uh, it, it, it liberates me from a judgmental spirit that goes through the world deciding who's worthy of my love and kindness. Wow, what a horrible way to live. And so I have to give to the poor to get my own heart free so that I give not what people deserve, but what they don't deserve, which is a lot like what Jesus has done for you and I. So how are we faithful then with God's money? What does it look like to be generous? Well, it begins, a good steward, a, good, a steward is somebody who manages what isn't theirs. So we manage God's money. It's not our money, it's his. Everything belongs to the Lord. A good steward uh, keeps a budget. If we think that generosity just means you kind of dance through, you know, like, it's free. I printed it at home. It's, it's free. You know, if, uh, that's not what generosity is. It's not just kind of some irresponsibility. Generosity begins with keeping a budget, with knowing what comes in and what comes out, and treating that money as God's money, which is holy. We're not frivolous or irresponsible or, oh, it just, you know, as the saying goes, that money grows on trees, and so I just give it all away. No, we're, we're careful. A good steward keeps a budget. And if you don't start there, your use of money will always be suspect. But it doesn't end there. A good steward keeps a budget. A wise steward invests in God's kingdom. A wise steward invests in God's kingdom. I want to give two quotes that explain what this is about. The first is from Martin Luther. You might not like him after this quote. If our goods are not available to the community, they are stolen goods. What a fascinating thought. That this idea of possession that is just mine and it's my right and I get to do with it what I want, again, that's a foreign concept. God gave me things to bless others with. I need to take care of my own needs first so I'm not a burden to others. But the idea of what I, uh, what's given me is not just to kind of fill out my life. There's a bigger thing going on here. Um, we, uh, Debbie and I, own a house a bit. Uh, and for years, we were renting. It was, a, it was just really, really great. I, I'm happy to rent. I don't need to own something. My confidence in security isn't that this is my plot of land that I bought, and that's what gives me security. God help us if we think that way. Uh, some of the leaders in our, in our life said, you need to, uh, to ask God to, to, to buy a home. We go, okay. We didn't exactly know why. And then right now, <clears throat> it's been more, but right now we have on our property, I think 15 people are living in our property right now. Um, we don't need that. God needed that. And we have a house, not for Debbie and I, we have a house for what, God's do, what God wants to do 
in and through us. It's about his kingdom. It's not about us. Now, you don't have to have, you don't, that doesn't have to be your motivation, but it is ours. It's, it, the, the, there's one reason, I think, why we have a house, and it's to bless others. It's not mine. It's always on loan. And if ever I think that I own something and I have the right to do with it as I wish, I think that's called idolatry, and that needs to be purged from my heart. And so if I think that my house is my house, it's stolen goods. Our house exists for the blessing that, uh, to the community and to God's kingdom. I like this second one even better. Uh, this is Randy Alcorn. All that lasts is what you pass on. I gave this, uh, did this quote in the Surrey site this morning. Somebody came up to me and said, there's a, I saw Denzel Washington uh, gave a thing, and he says, uh, um, he said, I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. Uh, that was really graphic. You know, just packing my, going on a road trip, going to heaven. Um, uh, this, is a, this is a fascinating thought. I was thinking about this, it's such a dumb example, but I was literally thinking about this this morning. Um, we have one of our dogs just gave birth to five puppies today, which is kind of fun. And so, uh, so, so Debbie is, uh, is helping with all that. I am clearly not, nor do I ever want to. That's all not great. Lots of uh, medical things. I don't want to think about any of that. So, uh, so Debbie says, she's getting to start back. She says, would you please get me that, that stool? Well, I made a stool in, uh, in grade nine, which is, you know, just last year I made this stool. <laughs> so well, we've had this stool now for decades. And uh, I'm a little emotionally attached to the stool because you've had it for so long. But if you look at it, it's starting to chip, and it's not looking as good as it did at the beginning. Uh, I built it, I feel like I own it, and I'll never be able to take it with me. The only way, follow me now on this, I know it's a dumb example, but follow me. The only way that, that stool will ever have eternal value is if it's served, if it's serving love. Because the Bible tells us that only three things remain, faith, hope, and love. So unless the things that we own are serving, are, if they are not serving love, then they're just destined to perish. The only way that stool ever has any kind of redemptive value is if it's done, for, if it's built and used for love's sake. Well, what a great way to think about your car, to think about your home. That maybe it will have greater value as if it's used to love. I find this to be an outstanding way to think. That this is, this is what we've been given, is to bless others. We've been neighbors with uh, Trevor and Helen Patterson for forever. I've known Trevor for, well, we won't say how long. And uh, I, just, I just walk into their house and, you know, use stuff. I, I usually phone. I have, I have ethics. And, uh, you know, I, I ask Helen, you know, can I just borrow the van? She goes, sure, you know where the keys are. That's a kingdom-minded family. I still have to clean out the garage. I'm sorry. I still have stuff in there. I'm getting around to it, I promise. But, uh, but what, a, what a beautiful way to live, to live lightly. It's light in your hand. It's not like this. It's like this. Uh, not stealing is just the beginning. The opposite of not stealing is living like that. I'm not grasping things. I'm living like that. It's very powerful. So what if God gave you things for eternal reasons, not just temporal, uh, uh, self-serving reasons? What if that's what's going on? Well, isn't that a fun way to live? Now you're free. Think of all the time and energy that we can put in to possessing things. God says, let me set you free. Be generous. Don't be irresponsible, but be generous.
The first act of giving that God commands us to do is the idea of tithing. And for sure, it's the first act. Robert Morris uh, says in his book, which I, I really like the book, and, and I can't remember the, the title of it. Do you remember the title of it? The Blessed Life. We want to give that to everybody who, uh, who first gives in our church. We want to give that as a gift. We're working that out because I just love that book. Here's what he says about tithing. He says, tithing isn't really giving, it's returning. Isn't that great? He says, uh, everything on the earth belongs to the Lord. And so what God says, I'm going to be like super, I'm going to be super generous and I'm going to give you things. But I want to know that you're not going to just be greedy. You're not going to be entitled. And so the way that I'll know that that's true, the way that I'll know that you have a grateful heart is I want you to return to me the first 10%. Then I can see what your heart is like. Now, here's what's interesting about that, is that as you return to God, the first 10% in Romans 11:16, it says this, that when you devote the first tenth to God, he blesses the other 90%. Because he can bless the other 90%. If I think that it's all mine, it's almost a curse to me. And the only way that money gets liberated is by, first of all, acknowledging where it comes from. That's the first 10%. And then when, when that's clear in your head, the last 90, you understand, are not really about you. And now, all of it has been blessed and can advance the kingdom. The primary, I think, the primary function of tithing is to understand that we live by faith and that God is our provider. One of the most difficult things that I have to work through in my mind is to think that uh, my hands uh, deserve what I've worked for. That's not true. Think of how much you make an hour. Don't say it out loud. Think of how, mu how much you make an hour. Do you deserve that amount? No, you don't. We know of, and it, it breaks my heart even thinking about it, we know of, of orphan children who live their life on a garbage heap, scraping through things to try to get enough food to eat. They're working longer hours in, I think, quite horrible working conditions. And we think, I'm entitled to this amount of money per hour. It's not true. Just made that up. God is our provider. God is our provider. And when that's clear, everything changes. But when I think, I am my own provider, this is how much money I've collected, therefore I am, this is mine, I deserve it, I worked hard to get it. No, God says, let me break that off of you. Let me break that curse off of you. First of all, give me the first 10%, because the only reason why you have anything is because of me. So give me back 10%, and then you'll know that the rest of it is not yours, it's mine, and you're a steward of it. Use it wisely in my name. Bless your, bless your uh, spouse and children. Bless your church community. Bless the city that you're in. Use it for eternal purposes. One of the things that we do at ENV is ENV does not have, well, we try to have uh, four to six month um, uh, savings where of our operational budget, we try to have in the bank four to six months. It's not working really well in the last little bit, but usually that's what we try to have. But what we don't have is, and we never, we never plan for it, is we don't try to have a savings account that just keeps building. I am not speaking against savings. If you give money to the church, the church is to use that to advance God's kingdom, not to stockpile so that we put our confidence in our savings account, but to stay needy to the community and using all that the community gives to give to others. I love that. And it keeps you always being aware that uh, it's God's 
and we live in dependency on him all the time. God is our provider. So that's generosity. It's living in an open-handed way, not an irresponsible way, but an open way, being motivated by faith and love. What is the source of generosity? Well, it's gratitude. Now, I love this sentence. I did write it, so I'll be self-serving in that, but I love this sentence. Listen to this. Just as it takes faith to believe God will bless us, it takes faith to believe he already has. Just as it takes faith to believe that God will bless us, it takes faith to believe he already has. Isn't that true? I think that's true. I think people who pursue blessing, they go, oh man, I can hardly wait for God to bless you, to bless me. Well, what if he did already? And you're not grateful. Right now, our, uh, um, we have couches in our living room. And we bought those couches, but we had some people come and live with us. We just invited them to live with us for a while, and then they blessed us with a gift. We bought those couches. It was a long time ago. Those couches have some holes in them now. Uh, I think we need new couches. We don't really have the money for new couches. I guess we don't need new couches right now. I could have sworn we did, but it seems as though we don't. You see, if I'm not grateful for what I have, I'll never be grateful for what I get. I have to be grateful for what I have. This is enough now. It's enough. I'm doing fine. If you want to bless, great, but I'm actually doing fine. What a freeing way to live. Gratitude is shockingly powerful. So look at your car, you know, in the year of it. That's always discouraging. Uh, look at the year of it. Look, and look at the, the, however many square feet you live in, and you go, this is perfect. This is excellent. Wow, I can't believe that I, I get this car. 1990. <laughs> Praise God. It was a good year for cars. You know, that is freeing. Greed says this never enough. It needs to be newer, better, da-da-da-da-da. Gratitude is freely receiving love, saying, thank you. Father, everything that I have comes from you, and you've been so kind and generous to me. I can't believe how good you've been. Thank you. This is talked about in 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 6. It says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Isn't that an interesting word? Contentment brings gain. I've... I've I, I believe that I've already received so much. For we brought nothing into the world and can take nothing out of it. That's the U-Haul. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into, get this, ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I went to a church once, and uh, I preached there, and it was much better than today. It was, <laughs> it was a really good one. And so after, after I finished preaching, the, uh, the pastor comes up to me, and he says, Greg, <clears throat> I could give you an audience. I would, uh, I can give you an audience. I know how to do it. And then what goes through your head is, you know, an audience means more people get to hear about Jesus. No, the temptation is more people get to hear me. And these moments come along in your life too. Hey, if you quit this job and took this job, it pays another $5 an hour. How could God ever be against that? That's impossible. For sure, that's better. And we just make decisions that we think uh, increasing wealth is always best. Is it? Is it? I would be afraid. I'm afraid to talk to you. A bigger church makes me nervous for my heart. I don't, I don't trust me very well. 
I don't want that. I've got to be grateful. Into ruin and destruction. I get so afraid when I hear people, you know, uh, uh, you listen to how people talk. Listen, well, maybe don't, because it gets discouraging. But you listen to how people talk, and you listen about how much money language is in their conversations. Is that good for you? I would never want to talk about money that much. That wouldn't be good for my heart. It might lead to ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not every evil, but all kinds. And it could actually steal away your faith. You could put your confidence in your money instead of in God. Here's how you know that you're ungrateful. There's, there's a way to know. And it's spending more than you have. It's the best way to know if you're ungrateful. You can't wait, and you just spend what you don't have. You rack up credit card debt. It's a sign of ingratitude. I need it now. And I have to figure out how to get it. That is the opposite spirit of what gratitude and generosity are all about. But you, man of God, flee, flee, run in the opposite direction from all this and pursue righteousness, pursue right relationship. Use your money to bless others. I get, I get so afraid of having money that's about me. So afraid of that. I want it to go thoughtfully, but quickly through me. In conclusion, back to Martin Luther, he describes three conversions. The heart, the mind, and the purse. We typically think of conversions in terms of our heart and mind, that we've been made new in Christ. That's true, and it's the primary uh, conversion. But there's another kind of conversion, and it's the conversion of our money. And that money represents all kinds of things. My, uh, my uh, advisor for my doctoral dissertation, his name is Charles Ringma, he's, he's passed away. Um, but he says, he says Greg, uh, I've had two conversions in my life. The first conversion was to Jesus Christ. The second conversion was to the poor. He says, I've devoted my life to the poor. What he would do is he'd spend half of his year in the Philippines teaching for free at the theological seminary so that people who couldn't afford an education would still be able to receive a quality education. And then he and a bunch of friends moved, get this, it was a choice of theirs, moved to live at the Lower East Side of Vancouver. He says the gospel, he, he described the gospel can never be uh, delivered in a drawbridge where you live in your nice little neighborhood and then the drawbridge comes down, you go share your faith and then quickly run back before dark to go back into your nice little castle. He says the gospel needs to live, be, uh, the gospel can only be given away if you live among. Isn't that powerful? And so he lived down there. He, he converted, it's a weird word, but he had a change of heart toward living for the poor. God wants to liberate us from the, uh, from the idolatry of greed and money. He goes on. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Christianity should cost us something. We're not earning our salvation. That would be ridiculous. It's impossible. But it should cost us something. And what it should cost is at least a tithe. The Bible goes on. It's very hard to make hard and fast rules when we look at the issue of tithes and offerings and the like in the Bible because it changes depending on the circumstance. But generally, a tithe is given to the local church, to the ministry and ministers of the local church. If I make money, the first place where it goes is to my family. I don't get a check and bless all the kids in the neighborhood. I have a first responsibility to my family. And then above that is offerings that go and distribute beyond that 10% to bless others. It should cost me something because that's what gratitude would do, not begrudgingly, but with great joy. 
Robert Morris goes on, and this is what I'll summarize with. He describes, um, he describes money in three ways. He says, money is a tool, a test, and a testimony. Money is a tool. Money is an outstanding tool to love others with. It's a great tool. And if you have money or you have resources, if you have skills or ability, if you have time, it's a tool. It's a way to be able to bless others. And when you do, that tool now took on eternal value. And it's a test. Luke 16, 11 says that if you can't be, if you, if you can't be trusted with money, how could I entrust you with heavenly things of heavenly value? Like it's the least, it's the, it's the, the basic thing that you should work through being trusted with. So it's a test. It's a test to see where your heart is at. Do you really trust God? Do you really live your life for love? Look at your bank account. Look at your bank statement. Look where you spent your money. It'll tell you where your heart is. It reveals in very powerful ways. And finally, it's a testimony. It's not a testimony about how we've been loving and we've been faithful. It's a testimony about how God is loving and God is faithful. And I can testify that God has been faithful to me and my family. He's been faithful. I'll, I'll close with a verse, but I just need to say this. Please, we're almost done. Um, one of the things that I really struggle with is anxiety. And here's how anxiety feels to me in the area of finances. Anxiety feels like I'm being responsible. And if I'm not anxious, I've been irresponsible. I should be freaking out about it and then praying for God to rescue me. And that seemed like a, a good equation. Anxiety feels like I'm being a good steward. And I'm often afraid to have open hands in the area of money because it feels irresponsible. I hope that you've heard that we should have a budget and we should be wise as well as good. I hope you heard that. But, it, but wisdom is not this. It's not that. Wisdom is this. And it takes faith to live that way. Psalm 37. I was young and now I am old. I hate that I can relate to that. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Wow. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Wow. Don't you want that to be true? It is. It is true. In our society, we hear lots and lots of talk about financial freedom, which usually means you, you, you play the stock market well, you, you got in on some new invention before it took off, or, and then you, or you stand up for their program, usually, if it's a bank, and then you're gonna have financial freedom by the time you're 55 or 45 or 60, whatever it is, you're gonna have financial freedom. The Bible outlines a very radically different way of being free financially. And it's to trust in the faithfulness of God that looks like practicing love, using our resources to bless the world around us. Now we're free. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have savings accounts. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be wise in how you invest in your money. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what the direction of that is to be toward, which is loving God and advancing his kingdom. Can you say amen to that? If we can invite up the worship team, let's... Pray together. Please stand with me. Father, first of all, we want to thank you for the money that we've received. We want to thank you for the possessions that we have. And we say, everything comes from the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We want to acknowledge 
that it's not because of the cleverness of our, um, of our work that we have what we have. We didn't, we didn't plan on moving here. You allowed that to happen. You allowed it to happen. We could be those people on a garbage heap. We could be living in another area of the world where there is no means to exist, let alone find a way out. And so we want to begin by saying thank you, giving us what we certainly don't deserve. And so, Father, just as you have been generous in the forgiveness of sins, just as you have been generous in our provision, we trust this to be true moving forward from today, that you will remain faithful, that you are good, that your children do not beg for bread. And so I pray that you would liberate us from the anxiety of financial management, not to be irresponsible, but to be more responsible, to receive these things as holy treasures from you, to be used as a blessing, received with gratitude and given away with generosity. Oh, Father, would you free us from the financial bondages that try to wreak havoc on our heart, bringing ruin and destruction. Please, Father, liberate us from these things that we could discover in this area of our life how good and faithful you really are.